it is the pink elephant theory. If the guest wants a pink elephant, get them a pink elephant. If you can't find a pink elephant, get a horse, paint it pink, convince the guest that's an elephant. Do whatever it takes to ensure they're happy. That's it. Are they happy? We are back. Chris Adams here with you with the Pink Elephant Podcast. Uh, Adrian Kaler's with us today. He is a senior partner um, at the executive coaching firm uh, Take New Ground. And because Adrian, I know you have nothing else going on. You also have two podcasts. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I figured it's like you know what? I'm bored. Let's throw in a couple of extra podcasts. my joy. It's my joy. Podcast. Adrian, thanks so much for being with us, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, great to be here, man. It's been great to get to know you in some uh, pre-recording chat. Look forward to this conversation. Yeah, it's going to be fun. You know, you obviously, I I know you get asked this question a million times, but you know, the journey that you yeah. took to get to this point was not the the norm, not the atypical no. journey. You didn't, you didn't go to school and say, you know what, my goal is to be an executive coach. Um, no, you've done a, a few different things and pretty diverse in that path, right? Very. Yeah. Yeah. Very. When I first started coaching, this is about 15 years ago. When I first started coaching, I, uh, I would always dread uh, hoping they wouldn't ask. So how'd you get into this thing? Which is a pretty normal kind of, uh, small talky thing to ask, right? Like, how'd you get into it? And for a long time, I, I don't like, I, uh, I kind of hid behind it. Cause I felt, I don't know, I, I, maybe it just starts early. I think when we ask like, you know, 15 year old, 16 year old, 17 year olds, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's a pretty unfair, definitely unhelpful question. More like who, who do you want to become? That would be the more fruitful question, you know, build yeah. people's character, build their ways of seeing and listening and, and relating in the world. And then they can pick up skills and knowledge, that kind of thing. So anyway, I, uh, yeah, quite the convoluted path to get here, you know, in, um, I'll do the short version. You feel free to double click on anything, but I, you know, I was a pre-med, I was like a science guy and I liked people. So I, I thought I'd be a doctor. Um, at least that was my grandmother's dream for me. And then, um, got into it. I'm like, hold on a second. What does this take another seven years of doing this and writing lab reports and like hanging out with these folks that I'm not naturally the best friends with? Um, no, no, I'm, I'm okay. Uh, serendipitously, I had a, a roommate and I was a football player in college at a roommate who was a nursing major, which I had never considered before. Uh, but his dad was a ER nurse in Gary, Indiana. So I got to hear like the cool shit, like, oh, wow. Oh, stabbing, <laughs> shootings. This is, oh, that's neat. Oh, that's cool. I want to let me, you know, let me roll up the sleeves and get in, in some of that, which might sound crazy to a lot of people, but sounded fascinating to me. And, um, and, and at that point I thought I love traveling. I love traveling the world. Very altruistic came from a, uh, kind of a faith background. Like my, my family was really religious in that. And there's an aspects of that that were really motivating to me. Lots of it that weren't, and we can talk about that if you need to, but lots of it that weren't motivating to me, but there's tons of it, essentially like the grand narrative. Like, what does it mean to be fully human is to be a part of reconciling the world. At least that's what captivated me, like helping the world, put the world back together, like being of service to people. Um, and uh, things that I think we all need as human beings, if you go aim your life at helping other people get that, you end up getting what you're looking for. So I thought, oh, shoot, I can get a nursing degree and I'll go travel the world, which I did and which was a blast. Did that for a while. Most worked mostly in the States doing pediatric intensive care work and just loved the opportunity to obviously save a kid's life because kids never earn. I mean, sometimes you deal with somebody that's 75 and they're like, reaping the benefits or reaping the pain or the hell of the life that they've lived. And they, so they kind of deserve it and you always still fight for them. But for kids, they're always innocent, right? 
And uh, so to get to save a kid's life, which is a you know huge, long story, um, if you save a kid's life, what can happen over 85 years, 80, 90 years? So that was always captivating. But really what captivated me was, along with that, was being with families in the midst of the worst day of their life. You get a mom and a dad that are there and they it's unfathomable to them and they are they're paralyzed and they are powerless. There's nothing they can do and they need people that can come in that know exactly what to do. That'll also treat them uniquely and connect with them distinctly on whatever they're going through. And I dug that. I really dug that opportunity and obviously really honored to get to, you know, you kind of walk in at seven o'clock and all of a sudden you're a lifeline to people. That's a crazy amount of pressure and a deep amount of respect and trust that you get. But man, the honor and to get to like, I don't know if you do on a good day, you valiantly stand and, and courageously move forward and pull people together and, and help people turn this worst day into the a great story they'll live in for the rest of their lives. That was a captivating uh, calling for me. And I loved it. Um, simultaneously, um, this faith conversation was brewing for me and I, and, uh, not most of any like religious stuff is not of interest to me. Uh, religious people usually are not of interest to me for a handful of reasons. Um, but yet I heard I was with a team in India doing a health clinic and we were doing, I was a music guy back then. We were doing this stuff again in Southern India for a couple of weeks. And I, I heard I, somebody gave me a CD. Remember those? They gave me a CD of this guy named Erwin McManus and he gave like a speech or a talk or a you know, whatever you want to call it, a sermon. And it was called The Barbarian Way Out of Civilization, which was this kind of, I'd never heard anything like it before. That, you know, I hope I don't go in too deep for the listeners here, but that Jesus didn't die to make religion. He died to start a revolution. It was a love revolution to, to turn the world upside down. Anyway, captivating. This guy was captivating to me because he saw things distinctly. In a world of vanilla, he was not. You know, he had a very unique view of it. And I thought, who is this guy? So I read all the books. Then I moved out to LA to go be an intern at Mosaic. I was 23 and it was a perfect time to go do it. Took a nursing job out here and I was a mobilizer. It was uh, probably the best training, the best life and leadership training I'd ever been through because we had a, a group of 3,000 people and they said, Adrian, why don't you figure out what to, you know, we need help. And why don't you figure out how to move people into the city to make a difference? And, you know, so I was the guy they'd call like when, um, so I'd mobilize, I don't know, about 2000 people a year would go out and serve in the community. And I would just tell people, Hey, you give me an hour of your week, I'll give you the best hour of your week. So I, cause I know we're all, you know, we're all throw ourselves at things vocationally, but a lot of times, not everybody, but a lot of times what we're doing as a job is not that meaningful and we can make it meaningful and we ought to, cause life's short, but there's, we know that the mem like the human you, the human mind slows down when it's experiencing something new we know that that's why when you get older time go time flies when you're getting older that's only true because we have less and less first experiences that's the phenomenon the more first experiences you have the more time slows down because that tells your brain oh this is new pay attention slow down this is you don't know this you know instead of just like you know waiting for the next moment like most of us do on every day so i would give people these opportunities to go do something they thought they were very unqualified to do and talk to people that they thought they could never talk to. And all of a sudden their life was different. Their story was different. What they were talking about at the, at the party on Friday night was different. Cause let me tell you about this homeless kid. I mentored on Tuesday. I was a lot like him. He's you know, anyway, they would have all these experiences and you know, when Haiti would happen and the earthquake would happen, I took a you know, team of doctors, you know, they call me, what are we going to do? You know, five days later, we're in the rubble and you know, it's just Katrina and, and Pakistan's underwater. I'm taking a doctor anyway, really fun experience of 
of building teams to go make a difference with other people and inviting people into a risky endeavor. That's, I mean, usually meaning goes way up whenever I'm on the edge of my seat or I'm doing something I don't know if I can do. I'm doing something that I've never done before. You know, vitality comes to the surface because we need it, right? Faith comes to the surface and companionship and camaraderie comes to the surface. And we end up, our lives, these were these like epiphany moments happen for us because we're outside of our norm. And I loved that. When I look at the generation and where we're at right now and the fact that I believe that we are looking for something with a purpose. That, and I think that's when we look at people with jobs right now and like they're not happy, they're leaving the industries that they're in left and right. And we're seeing major labor crisis. A lot of it is because they're searching for something that gives them a bigger purpose in, in life than just showing up to a nine to five every day. And I think that's so key of what you were just talking about, man. When you talked about what leadership is to me, a piece of that is putting people in positions they never thought they'd be capable of being in. Right. And right. that's what you were doing is giving people something, yep. an opportunity to do something they never thought they'd be able to do, which in turn was was helping them find purpose. Yes, that's that's right. Awesome. I'm sorry. That was just man. Yeah. It just as you're saying, well, it, it lands, just, doesn't it? I mean, we as leaders, we ought to just give other people what we want. You know, if we mm -hmm. just get that part right, like, you know, it's the whole you know, golden rule thing, like treat other people as you want to be treated. Everybody wants to be seen, wants to be understood, wants to be believed in, wants to be challenged, wants to be, you know, supported. You know, it's, that's why so many of the epic movies, I mean, we know the the hero's journey, right? The, the, the hero leaves the, the village of the known and, you know, has to go out on this major quest and he's going to fight dragons and all that kind of stuff. And along the way, every hero meets a guide and the guide humbles him and believes in him simultaneously. You can look mm -hmm. at every great movie of all time. It's always built on that structure. There's always a guide. You can watch every Disney movie. Anyway, if you don't know about this thing, just pay attention. There's a guide in every movie. And that's what leaders, we're called to be guides for our people, I think. I mean, it, mm -hmm. that's closer to my view of leadership yeah. versus like authority and structure and responsibility sure. and all that kind of shit. That's fine. But the core of leadership is believing in people and and uh doing what you just said which is to see more than they can see because you've either been there before or, you, or you've got you know twice the conus they do and so you you know you can see you're willing to see more than they can see and then you believe in them beyond what they believe in themselves and it might be insane but it's meaning like meaning insane like there's no evidence to prove that it's true yeah and we actually don't like to think this way because we'd rather cover our own asses and look good and feel good and be right and be in control and survive and and you know make sure we don't make any mistakes for the sake of whatever money or pace or blah 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 but at the same time we we so we tend to go to the past to justify the moment we're choosing right now instead of going to the future to justify the moment we're choosing right now which is what is worth it what if I throw myself out there, what vision, what commitment actually would generate a whole new way of being in me? Like I might transform in the moment because, and I've got stories like this, I'm sure you do too, Chris, where somebody believed in me way beyond anything that I'd earned. Somebody saw yep. potential in me and spoke that to me and I was crazy enough to believe them. And all after that, everything shifted. And we, you know, we all want that. So as humans, so it's just good. It's uh, for me, that's the thrill of leadership is watching someone do what you said, do what they've never done before, become who ne they never thought they could become. And, you know, and sometimes we have those moments where we can just never go back. Like, it's just, wow, this is yeah. the new bar.
this is how I'm living my life now. Yeah, there's nothing better I dig, for I me dig it, man. seeing people win than knowing that yeah. I'm, I'm giving the opportunity for someone to be more than they thought they were capable of. Like that to me, there's nothing more satisfying than seeing someone succeed than, than pushing past what they believe their limits were. And that's, you know, that's what, that's what leadership is. The, the scary part is there's such a lack of leadership in most organizations, um, typically bred out of fear, um, because they're, you know, they're scared to make the wrong decision. They're scared to give someone that opportunity that, um, they're scared to see some something more in someone because, well, if it doesn't work out, it's coming back on me and I'm the one that's going to look bad. And we're, we're minimizing and we're limiting the possibilities when we take that approach. Um, and it's tough. You know, not everyone's called the leader um, crazy enough. Yeah. Well, I, I know what you mean by that. And I, and I think that's true. And probably I'll, I'll say, I think that's probably true. I know that everyone's called to lead themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, at least I believe that is like, you know, you're, if you're alive, you're charged, you've been given the responsibility to lead yourself and yeah. the world needs you to do that. By the way, if you're not on your toes, making healthy, good decisions for the sake of others, you know, please go away, go somewhere else. I just went to Idaho. There's only like 2 million people in the whole state. Just go hide in Idaho and leave people alone. Uh, otherwise, you know, stay here and thrive and go be a part of society. Uh, but I think I know what you mean. Most people don't want to be a leader. Um, therefore they don't find the opportunities to lead. Uh, but I think, I mean, we all part of the pain, I think organizationally, what you're getting to is like, we underestimate the power and the responsibility to lead even laterally. Because if mm -hmm. I'm working at McDonald's and I'm working in the kitchen, I've got three or four other dudes next to me. And I'm called to lead my peers. I think we could just go show up and try to be an island and act like what I'm doing doesn't affect other people. But that's never the case. We're, we live in a in a network of relationships. So whatever I'm doing echoes into other people's lives. Even if I try my best not to be a problem, the fact that I'm not committed to something good or I'm not going to go the extra mile, that is a problem for the people because now they have to do what what you know what you would be doing if you, you gave a shit. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I know what you mean. Um, I, I always will challenge that just because I think people, the more, the more benefit you can make in other people's lives, the better you feel about yourself. Yep. And everyone wants to feel good about themselves. They want to have a good view of themselves. This culture more and more, it probably won't ever stop this kind of look in the mirror culture. We used to call it selfie culture, I guess, but back when that came out 10 years ago, but this obsession with self will always lead to despair. Always. Even yeah. if I obsess with myself and I get all the cars and get all the women and get all the fancy this and whatever, if it's just, if it's just me at the end of the night and no solid relationships, there's only despair there. I can fill it with distractions. I can start a new company. Most people I work with start a new thing and find yeah. a new thrill, find a new roller coaster to ride, but it doesn't change who they are. And then when they actually get success, they're actually more despairing because the, the journey towards success was fulfilling, but getting success is actually a letdown because you lose the aim and then you got to go do something else and you've not transformed personally. So my, I guess my thought with what you're saying is the bummer is that we always, I'll say always, I probably mean it. We always under index the 
significance of the interpersonal dynamic of work. Mm. So that's a long statement. We under-index the significance of the interpersonal dynamic at work, like trust. So when I come, we, when, when, when I take new ground, come in and work with teams, I spend 85% of my time working one-on-one with founders and we come in and work with their teams, right? So, because a founder gets off all their own destructive shit, they're always brilliant, they're always very talented and there's always some kind of destructiveness in them just because they're all maniacs and they, they, you know, if they weren't a maniac, they wouldn't have started a company. That's what maniacs do, you know, believe in themselves <laughs> like that. You're smiling because you're one of them, I know. So, but they're all, you know, we're humans. And even if we've got huge responsibilities and you have huge opportunities, our dark side will always affect whatever's going on. Yeah. And my work with any founders help them like adopt their dark side. Stop running from it. Everybody knows already, man. They already know. So stop running from it. You better hug that cactus and bring it into the fold. And the more you do that, the more responsible you'll be and the more approachable you'll be to your people because they already know you're crazy. As long as, as soon as you own your crazy, now we got a, now we have a much better ball game than the one before. But yeah. the as they're coming in, as they're, as we're working with teams, it's always the interpersonal dynamic that sets up all of the external problems, whether we're not hitting the revenue numbers we ought to be hitting or the strategies off or this office failed, this venture failed, all that's the external stuff, but all that's symptoms of what wasn't happening in the room. The conversations that couldn't happen, the people that decided not to step up, the conflict that we waited on, like we saw it at a two, but we waited till it was a 10, all that, that's all the interpersonal dynamic. That's all the space between two human beings and what we believe about each other and what I believe in myself and what I believe about you and what we think our roles are, blah, blah, blah. All that is, is that space, the, the governing space between human beings. And we're always under index the significance of that. That's why most of our work with teams is around talking about the shit they don't want to talk about. And mm -hmm. I warned them all. I said, you know, when, when we, when we first start working together, I said, there's, there's conversations on the table. There's conversations under the table. You want to talk about the ones on the table. I know we need to talk about the ones under the table. So that's where I'm going first. Let's have the hardest conversations first. And once they can do that, then everything else like moves fast. Yeah. We, we use something similar on our side with our company as we're going in with our hotels and stuff. And we live yeah. and die by what we call radical candor that says, that's great. We have to be able to speak in truth and love, um, at all times. And the only yeah. way that works though, is by a word that I use constantly. And you said it trust when your yeah. team trusts you, when your peers trust you, if you're a server, if you're a bartender and your guests trust you, you can write a check for whatever you want. Trust is the foundation for it all to work. Trust yeah. can happen when, and I use the analogy, I've got two daughters and I use the analogy that says, if I, my teenage daughter, if, if I see her doing something that is going to hinder her future as her father, knowing that I love her more than life itself, am I going to say something to keep her from hindering her future? And the answer, everyone said, well, of course, Chris, that's an easy one. And I go, cool. So if, if I do that, I know that my teenage daughter is going to, I'm going to face the backlash, right? I'm going to the slam door, dad, you don't know what you're talking about. You're crazy. You're old, sure. all these things, you right? Idiot. But yeah. I'm okay with taking that responsibility on because I care more about her future than the moment yep. of her being frustrated with me. And I say how right. that relates to our organization is that the minute my team knows that I refuse to have tough conversations with them. I'm basically telling them, I don't care about your future. I don't love right you on. enough 
to have those tough conversations. And when that happens, right trust is broken and it is going to be extremely difficult for you to move your organization forward. So I, I man, I love so much everything you're talking about. I'm with you, man. We call it in my work, we call it uh, fierce advocacy. Hmm. Like I said, I had to come cool. up with a word. I had to come up with a word or a phrase, I guess, when I started training other coaches, you know, because a lot of people want to yeah. come work with us and blah, blah, blah. And we don't, you know, it doesn't work out 95% of the time for a handful of reasons. Um, mostly because they're unwilling to have this stance, this commitment as a fierce advocate, which is, which is you, when I, when I talk about it with potential clients, I'm always talking about this before we sign anything. Cause I, I don't, I want them to know what they're getting into is I, I'm going to advocate for your future. So we're going to get really clear about what you want to, where you want to go. You know, they always hit me with like, I want to be a better this, or, you know, all these kind of subjective things, but no, no, let's talk about some results. Where are you going to get to? What, where could, what could you accomplish that would require the transformation that you say you want? That's usually the, the strategy is like, okay, let's get, let's put something out there that would require you to shift in how you are listening or how you are as a leader or blah, 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 or anything that they want to deal with symptom symptomatically. And I'm going to be as committed to that future and probably more committed to that future than they are because I'm not attached to their bullshit or their baggage or all their reasons why it can't happen and why Tom is a dick and blah, blah, blah. Like I, I'm not into their all their reasons and all their excuses, very preset excuses for why it can't happen. I just believe they can't. I, I think they're greater than any circumstance. But my business partner always says a man with a vision can never be held hostage by circumstance. That's and great. so I'm going to advocate for them and I'm going to do it in a fierce way, which is around the lines of the radical candor. Like I warn them, we're going to have a very unique relationship. I'm going to say things to you that no one else gets away with. And it's going to work because you're going to, because I'm committed to your future, to your point, I'm committed yeah. to your future. So I can't not, I can, I'm not going to be out of integrity here. If I, if I sniff something and I can be wrong, but I'm going to say it and I'm going to put it up just to see if it's a resource for you. And it's usually... You know, it's like I, I warned them, I'm going to believe in you so much. I'm probably not going to believe you. Hmm, that's good. Same why idea. Do you think, why do you think this is really, um, it centers around people's ability and willingness to change. Why is yeah. change so difficult for humans in general? Change is tough. Yeah. People, people, they resist, they fear, they hate change. Why is change so challenging in, in, in your opinion? Well, because we all have the same brain in our heads. So the human brain has been crafted over the millennia. And its number one, its number one priority is to survive. Period. Nobody gets a vote on that. That's gravity for the human brain. Survive. Like make sure Adrian makes it to tomorrow. So, you know, it used to be saved with two tigers and all that shit. And now, uh, you know, whatever else is might be threatening my life and we're not don't live as in the i mean in the u.s at least a dangerous culture like that we did back then millennia ago so mm -hmm. it's more ego death is the concern now like looking good and feeling good and being right being in control these are the survival needs um they're always going to be there for us that's number one priority of the brain nobody gets a vote on that that is we know that from the science number two is the brain wants to save energy so that it can survive later if it needs to Right. So that's why we delete and distort and generalize information. That's why our listening is quite truncated because the brain wants to be right about things. That's its number one purpose because the brain's uh, aiming at solving for uncertainty. That's how we keep ourselves safe is we solve for uncertainty. One of the ways it does that is that it makes, you know, it makes everything look like what it knows. 
So it will transform. I mean, you, we all know this in life. Like we're in a meeting together and we're talking about this project and I'll, you know, there's, there's a big conversation about it. And three people are in the meeting and three people walk out with three very different stories about what happened in the meeting. Why is that? Because our brains were listening for what we want and probably deleting information we didn't like or distorting it, you know, shifting it or generalizing it, making it big picture and, and, and um, non-consequential because it's not very specific. So why do we not like change? Because change would re does require us to leave the known territory. And while everybody can bitch about what's not happening in their life, but to create something new, we must venture. We must leave the known territory and go on a new map. We don't know what it's going to look like. And we know what it feels like. Like it's very chic these days to talk about imposter syndrome, which is just <laughs> simply this. Like I am deciding to do something and I don't know if I have what it takes to do it or I don't know if I belong here. That's a good sign. If you have imposter syndrome, quote unquote, we always love to give diagnoses to things so we can hide behind them. I don't hide behind it. I'd say I'm an imposter. Let's get over it. Yes, I am. I'm signing up for things I don't know how I'm going to do. And it's a great game. Here I go. You know, so if you're feeling imposter, that means a good sign that you're in the right place. If you're committed to transforming, if you're committed to staying safe and looking good and feeling good and being right and being in control, then don't take any risks because you're setting yourself up for miserableness and you're going to blame somebody else for it. So yeah. we don't like change because we're, we are pursuing something we don't know and it naturally generates tension. And in that tension, we will either fold or we will transform. Ironically, this sense of progress, like transformation is actually what's most enticing to humans, like from a desire perspective, but you know, Chris Voss, negotiation guy you're probably familiar with, he points out that that of all the horsepower in the brain, 75% of it is focused on avoiding a negative. 25% is focused on pursuing paradise or pursuing the good things. So we'd rather avoid hell than go to heaven, metaphorically speaking. Um, so even so the we there, there's such a heavy weight on not failing that we that the glory of pursuing success and who I become in the context of success is is imbalanced. So it takes heroic people, um, you know, a heroic moment for anybody really uh, to step up and to go after something new. And change is always uncomfortable. But if you've got a vision for the future, it's worth it. So I'll climb the mountain. If I know what I want, what's, what's on the other side of the summit is worth it. I will go through the pain of this, of the summit for the sake of it, for the sake of what I want. That's on the other side. Yeah. And that's why I think so many people struggle with being a, a entrepreneur, you know, everybody, right. everybody, you know, how many phone calls I got during the, the pandemic of, Hey man, I'm launching this and it's awesome. I love it. I, I would, I would block my calendar for anybody that wanted you know, 10 minutes of my time to, to answer any questions I could. And I would say 90, 98% of them, six months later, you know, there was a new thing that popped up on LinkedIn of congratulations on the new job they accepted with X company. And, you know, a lot of it's the fear of failure. Um, you know, failing is, you know, scared to death to fail, not realizing that failure is part of success. Um, being okay with failing. The being being okay with the humbling side of saying, "Yeah, I um, I massively screwed that one up, um, but <laughs> I learned. I learned. I figured yeah. it out, and now I've pushed on to where I am supposed to be." Um, how the ability as a leader to give your teams permission to fail, right? To give them the opposite. Say, "Hey, 
are you pushing in the right direction? Are we learning how to fail? Are we, you know, you hear fail forward. What does that really mean? But strategically saying, I'm going to push my team. And as long as they're pushing the envelope in the right direction, if we step back a little bit and we learn and that helps us get three steps forward, that's great. It's okay yeah. to make those mistakes and giving them permission to, to be in that space. That is a tough right thing on. to do, uh, especially when you have a small business because you realize every bad decision is, is leading you one step closer to bankruptcy, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the failure is almost you feel is not an option because you're, you're one paycheck away from not having money. Um, yeah. But knowing that that's part of it, being okay for me, it was, I was okay with living in a car for a little bit. I was okay with living on somebody's couch and, and not being able to, you know, give them money to stay there. It was, I was okay with not having food some nights because I was yep. pushing towards what I felt was something greater. How has yep. all of this helped you in creating um, this, this, this now firm that you have that does exactly this? You spend every day helping others in leadership mm-hmm. roles figure, figure out how to be better. Yeah. Well, you said so much, uh, and I'm just with you. I, um, to the, to some of the first points there. Yeah. What comes to mind is what the alternative is. So if you don't create a culture where people can fail and actually must fail, I I would, I would go further and say, Mm -hmm. we actually want a culture where failure is not only possible because that's going to happen anywhere, but it's something we actually pursue because if I'm going to fail, that means I've found the edge of myself. I found the edge of the possibility with the client, with the possible, whatever the thing is, like I've found the edge. And if you don't live a lifestyle of like finding the edge, then you're just going to like find a way to dress up mediocrity and try to feel okay with it. And we all know, I, I think our souls are the most honest part of our body. We know at some point when we're sandbagging it and we're wasting our time on earth because we live in this we naturally, all of us have this sense that we don't get to live forever. We're all going to die. And if, yeah. and if we live in that, then meaning goes way high. So if I'm in a wasted Tuesday and can I have bullshit conversations at the meeting instead of having the real conversation, we know it. That's why we have a chronic lack of confidence um, in people is because we're betraying ourselves on a pretty constant basis. And we haven't built a narrative that I have about myself that I believe in myself and I keep looking for confidence and I just don't have courage. So Anyway, I'm with you. I think we got to build a culture where failure isn't even beyond possible. It's pursued. Let's go do it. Now, most people, because they don't, they don't, they, we live in this busy narrative. We live in, I don't have time for that. And uh, there's lots of these very famous leadership narratives we live in and I'll just do it myself. That's another great narrative. It's not worth the time to go train somebody else. All this, right? You know this, I know this, everybody we talk to is in this narrative, which means that I'm going to distance myself from the person's experience that I'm leading. And I'm going to distance and I'm going to usually delegate really irresponsibly. So I'm going to say, Hey, go do this and then send them off to go do it. Now, why do we do that? Because that's what we want as entrepreneurs. We want to be left alone, right? We don't Mm -hmm. like authority. We like to create our own path, but if they work for me, they're not an entrepreneur. They want to be a worker among workers. They want to like go lead and, you know, do their own thing, but they love the protection of an organization or of someone else. And so most people, we naturally lead the way we want to be led. Most entrepreneurs delegate poorly because they delegate the way they want to be delegated to, which is give me a task and get out of my way. That's what sets it up for failure is because I give them a task and I don't pay attention. And I call that trust. I don't think that's trust. I think that's naive trust. 
Well, it's a certain yeah. type of trust. It's naive. So authentic trust is I'm going to trust you with this. Listen, you might fail. And if you do it well, you might, I mean, you really, I mean, you're probably going to fail at some point. You're going to fail along the way. I know that's going to happen. Cool. So I'm going to stay close to you as a way to support you. I'm not micromanaging, but we'll do a process that I call micro accounting. I want to know what's going on on a pretty regular basis because I trust you and because I know where you're at and because I'm here to support the development you're in right now, I'm going to stay close. Now, if you don't want me to stay close, you probably shouldn't work for me, period. Because if you don't want somebody looking into the process, that means you're defensive. That means you're dogmatic. That means you're way insecure. And you got to work on those things. But I'm going to be really close to you. If you call it micromanaging, you're not catching my motive. My motive is to be close so that if you make a misstep, and you probably will because you're new at this, I'm going to be here to make sure it doesn't ruin the deal, doesn't ruin the client relationship, doesn't ruin our relationship. I'm going to be close. That's how we're going to do this. And that's the way to delegate responsibly and pay attention right. and listen and get connected to people's meta conversations. Because if there's risk out there, external risk, like when you're dealing with other people and that kind of thing, there's also deep internal risk. So if someone's not showing up at their full potential on a regular basis, it will fail. And they're probably going to, they're probably going to explain the failure based on externalities instead of owning how they are being or how they're showing up in the process. So as a leader, you need to listen much more intent than you prefer to because you tell yourself you're really busy and you know, I'm not a psychologist and blah, 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 and I'm not there, there, blah, blah, all those narratives about it. But if you're leading, your job is to craft their belief system, in my view, instead That's of great. managing their behavior. If you craft their belief system, the, the natural, the good behavior will come out. People usually want to, to uh, control people's behavior or manage people's behavior instead of getting to the source document, which is what they're thinking. And behind what they're thinking is what they're believing about themselves, you, the world, the client, the work, all that kind of stuff. So you got to get into the source code, if you will. And so if you do that, then things can work. Now, I love, uh, to your point, I love doing this. This is why I get up in the morning. It's a deep honor. Every, everybody I work with is brilliant. Um, both my coworkers and all my clients, they're all twice as smart as I am. So it's really fascinating to get to be, you know, their corner man, be behind them, ask them questions they wouldn't ask themselves. And I'm always up against it myself. Like, you know, cause I'm, I'm dealing with a really high, high profile client, if you will, or high leverage deal. I'm always nervous. I don't know if I have what it takes. Let's go find out, you know? So I double down on courage. That's my solution to insecurity is doubling down on courage. And let's go find out. So I, I love this work and it's such an honor because people have breakthroughs every single day and their whole, I mean, they hire me to get some kind of business results typically, but their whole lives get transformed because they transform. And so wherever they are, it shifts because they've, they've made what might seem like a small shift that actually becomes huge, a huge ripple effect in their entire life. So it's a, I love it. I don't, I don't, I don't picture myself doing anything else. For anybody that's listening right now, um, I will probably go back and rewatch this podcast, not because it's mine, um, <laughs> but <laughs> because so many things that you have, have said and um, the way you're explaining it, um, the way you're breaking it down, it makes so much sense. And for anybody that's listening right now, I don't care what your title is, what your position is. Um, there's so many nuggets there that will help you in your day to day. I highly encourage you to go back and listen to it multiple times just to simply uh, retain and, and take in what you were just talking about. I mean, it's really good mm. stuff. So uh, thanks, how Chris. much has, you know, you talked about the, the, 
um, kind of growing growing up in in a home that was religious, um, yep. you you stepped away from the religion side of it, but still the the faith base of what it was still had um, meaning for you. And then right. you were part of Mosaic. How much has growing up in that environment, being on stage at at, at church, has that translated into what you do now? Oh, it's a, it has a deep impact. Um, I think, um, I mean, in particular, the environment I was in, following this guy Irwin in this in this church called Mosaic, um, we were revolutionaries. I mean, when I came in in two thousand and five, we called ourselves the research the research and development arm of Christianity, um, in the sense that we were doing shit that is now whatever it's now Vogue and you know all the things that happen now. But we were on the cutting edge, like we were meeting in cl- nightclubs and we were decentralized and very flat organization, and we we really had a visionary culture, meaning there's not like one vision and everybody finds their spot in it. It's actually, no, no, no. When you get involved, the whole thing changes. So we believed that. And that was true. That's, and I gave power to the people and, you know, we didn't have like members of the church cause it wasn't about privilege. It was everybody's volunteer staff. They're here to contribute. So those, some of those themes uh, are really in my bones, right? And believing in people is in my bones and getting to the truth is in my bones. Like I, um, I don't know if I did it as well back then when I was a pastor guy. I mean, after I left working at Mosaic, I actually ran a, a foundation. So we gave money away um, and we did work ourselves. We did it in the prison system. So we would run. I met this guy named Dan Takini, who is now my business partner. He was a management consultant and also on the side did gang intervention work. So pretty cool. I hired this guy. We went into prison. We ran life like leadership trainings, three day leadership trainings in prison with murderers. Wow. So that was fascinating. So my first coaching clients were murderers in prison. They were all, you know, all lifers. And we trained them how to, we did the training with them. Then we trained them how to train. My point with this being is that I have seen and heard the worst stories. Um, I have done heinous things in my own life. I have lied and deceived and cheated and stolen and all that stuff. I've done it all, right? So it's not like somebody else. Um what I know is, I mean, there's an old rabbinic saying, I think Jesus, the truth will set us free. That's true. Like that's gravity. Like the truth sets us free. It's, you can't really get freedom. You can't, will not, you will not get freedom while you're hiding. And so it's good to turn the lights on around things. Now, if you can do that in a way that's non-judgmental of yourself, instead of, instead of settling for like a shame-based conversation, and if you, if you can do it in a way that doesn't judge other people, like in a judgment, guilt, shame-based conversation with someone else, then you become a revolutionary leader because there's no place in their life that people that that are that are I don't, don't use the word safe that that where the environment holds the space for people to be really honest about their criminal uh, possibilities inside. I know we say everybody's criminal. Some of us are just more arrestable than others. So we've all got our dark sides. And, and, and anyway, part of the pastoralness of it, you know, I wasn't ever a fire and brimstone guy. I was like, Hey, let's get the truth on the table just so we can move on. Yeah. Cause otherwise you'll just spend the rest of your life running from your darkest day or your worst decision or your worst addiction or your worst, you'll build a whole life trying to make sure that that thing doesn't get in the light, but you can just turn the lights on and just own it and without the shame and move on. And that's where people get freedom. Is like, wow, it's, I'm not as bad as I think I am. I'm not, you know, you could tell the truth and people don't run away. Now, not every culture is like that, 
the cultures on our teams are like that. Let's absorb the truth. Let's get, help people get very real with what's going on for them with no judgment about it. Now, it might not work, meaning they might say something that doesn't work for the future. And obviously, if they were to like be stealing money or something like that doesn't work and that won't ever work, but they could repent of it. They, you know, that's religious language. They could change their mind and like own it and get themselves on a path to like being a contributing member of the team. Um, so, but you know, it's like, it's, it's an interesting question. I don't know if anybody's asked me that before this relentless pursuit of the truth, the relentless pursuit of possibilities. I still am a God guy. And I think we're all crafted in this beautiful image of creativity and of commitment and of, of dedication and sacrifice for the sake of the whole, which is, a, you know, I think the, the, the monster, you know, narrative, um, from Jesus's life. He's like the ultimate hero story. Um, and we can all be inspired by that. So I'm always betting on the underdog, uh, which is yeah, really fun. It's, it's funny you saying all this and I will talk about, I could, I could speak about me personally. And I will tell you yeah. that growing up, I grew up, anybody that knows me know I grew up in a very religious household. Um, yep. and, um, had to figure out my way. Um, very much like you still very much believe in, in, in a faith. Um, I, yeah. I can tell you professionally and personally, my professional career really, really took off when I got real with myself personally, right? Yes. I, I grew up, I, I can tell you my entire life. I had convinced myself. I've always been a, I, I cared about others. I really wanted yeah. to see people win. I've always, I've always wanted that. Okay. Yeah. And I believed I was, I was a good person. I had the best of yep. intentions. It wasn't until yep. my now significant other forced my hand for me to get really real about myself and have some real mm -hmm. conversations about let, let's deal with some stuff that you haven't dealt with. Um, until I dealt with that stuff, my professional career. Yeah. I found success of what people might call success. Sure. It was very limited. It was very limited. Yep. My, my brands, the company blew up. When I was able to deal with me personally to become the person I'm yeah. supposed to be, not who I believed I was. And right. I cannot speak more. Um, I, I, I will be as transparent as I could possibly be about that with people because I believe until we can get right with ourselves personally, we will never find true success professionally. And that helps sure. you with that purpose piece we talked about in the very, very beginning of now I've really figured out what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not just, you know, I'm not just out selling copy machines now. I really understand what my purpose is in life. And that was because right I had someone that was willing to, to, to have radical candor in my life that forced right my hand to figure out who I am personally to become who I'm supposed to be professionally. Right on. Yeah, yeah. that's why for us, you know, um, you know, 95% of our work is in-house with companies. And mm -hmm. then, but three or four times a year, it's growing now, but it's been three or four times a year. We put together what we call a public training that anybody can come to. And uh, we've been doing this. Dan's been doing this for 40 years. Um, I've been at it for 12. Um, and it's called The Revenant, which is to come back. And it's a, it's a personal leadership accelerant. There's like 40 people in the room. It's a deep dive, four-day experience, very experiential. Um, mm -hmm. You're not sitting there and listening because information transforms no one. Um, so you're not listening to what I think about what you should do. And here's my formula that you'll never do anyway. We don't do that. It's very, you know, you're up out of your seats, you're engaging with others, you're reflecting on things you'd rather not reflect on, but it's a tilling of the soil. 
And uh, to your point is because if we, whatever we're unwilling to explore personally will become our boundaries in the world. Yeah. You know, and if I, if there are certain things I can't deal with, or I've just decided I won't deal with, or just things that I'll just carry around, that's fine. And people do that every day. Uh, but that will be your limitations and you'll blame other people for it. But, you know, we end up working it out out there in the world, but it's the internal conversations that we're even we're blind to. Right. So our process is one of deep discovery. It's not therapy because we're not here just to think, oh, what happened when you were five and why is that affecting you today? It's not Freudian in that way. It's not etiological would be that the, the official term for it. It's teleological, which is Adler's you know, uh, definition of it, which is future based. Like who, who am I committed to being? What impact am I committed to having in the world? When, like when I'm, it's that question of like, when I'm 95 and on my deathbed, what will I think about? What will I be proud of? What will I not be proud of? And the regrets are always interpersonal. We know yeah. that from all the research. It's never like I didn't have enough cars and all that kind of bullshit. No, this all just distractions. Did I make a difference with other people? You know, what, you know, am, am I, or as David White would say, you know, legacy is crafting your absence, which I love that idea. Like when I'm gone, here's the spirit of Adrian that will be here. And it will, you know, trans like when you, when you like the feedback that started this podcast for you, somebody said, you said this one thing and it changed my life forever. That won't ever be undone. That will, that's, that's legacy in that guy's life. And I've got lots of stories from mentors that have said certain things. So you need a space in which to work this out, especially if you're a hard driver, especially if you're a leader, especially if you're smart and you're likable. There's not a lot of environments that will challenge you because you're used to leading every environment. You're used to people sucking up to you. You're used to like having all the answers. And that's if you're really talented, where do you go? That's why it's quote unquote lonely at the top, but it's only lonely because we've stopped looking and we have a space called the Revenant process. There's one coming up at the end of October. I don't know when this is dropping, but um, in Hawaii four days. We'll do another one in Boise in February, I believe is going to be the date. But if you're looking for a space to kick off any listeners to kick off a new chapter of your life, come, I promise you, we'll flip the page. Man, that's, that's a perfect segue of one. I can't thank you enough for being here. Um, this has been oh, enlightening. Um, I'm going to go rewatch it myself. We're going to be friends, Chris. We're sure. going to be friends, man. I like you. I love out. what you're up to, man. So if people want to learn more about you, your brand, what your company is doing, if they, if they say, Hey, I, what you just talked about with the, with the revenue, that is something I need to be a part of. How can they find yeah. you? How can they get in touch with you to make sure that they're, they're grabbing hold of this information? Yeah. So you can always come directly to me and I'll make sure anybody that's got any interest in anything, I'll make sure you get connected to the right people, the right conversation. I'll make time for you. And I, uh, you know, you can find me on Instagram, send me a message, adrian.k is my handle there, or just adrian at takenewground.com if you want to email me. Um, and I'd love to connect with anybody. If you want kind of the objective things, we've got uh, a handful of websites out there. Takenewground.com is the hub. Um, if you want to learn about the Revenant process, wearerevenant.com. Um, and you can check all that out. We have so many amazing things happening in November. We'll be in Tuscany. We're doing, running a, another public training called icon, which is for successful folks that are better. They want to get their house in order before things shift. Um, and think about this deep dive legacy. We've got people from all over the world coming to this training. I mean, the largest developer in Kenya will be there and his cohorts. And he wants to, you know, get connected to, you know, more of the European market anyway, lots of, but when we interview, cause we select these people to come, they have to apply. Mm -hmm. His concerns aren't professional. His concerns are personal. Like, mm -hmm. who am I becoming? Like, how do I keep my saw sharp? How do I actually wake up in the morning excited to live? 
Like these are what we are all haunted by. And we can either, you know, try to get the next thing to distract us or do what you did. Thanks to your significant other. She looked you in the eye and said, Hey, it's time for you to transform. And so anyway, you can hit me up easiest thing. Hit me up on Instagram, adrian.k and I'll get you connected to anybody. You can listen to the naked leadership podcast as well. Um, that's where we talk about these leadership issues in really deep detail. We don't give formulas. We don't give solutions. That's all out there. Go ahead and listen to it. We talk about mindset. We talk about the deeper hidden conversations that all leaders struggle with and need to get a hold of to open up big possibilities like you did, Chris. Um, so we're kind of behind the scenes and now we started coaching people live on the podcast. So that's fun. Um, cause people are always saying love, love all the stuff you're talking about. It's like the locker room talk. We need to watch the game. You know, can you just yeah. coach people live and post that? And we're like, all right. So we put the call out. And if anybody wants to be coached, a free coaching call live, go for it. Um, and we get after it. So Amazing. Um, those are those are great ways to get a hold of me and listen to what we're up to. And we'd love to serve anybody. I mean, we, we're we're selective, not in an industry, working lots of different industries, uh, but we're very selective around um, the leader and what they're committed to and where they're coming from because we don't come in to do any work for somebody else. We empower them to do the work that maybe they don't have the, the maybe they're not the competency, usually they do, but usually not the courage to go step in and do it. And we can give you the tools and, uh, and processes and frameworks to do that effectively, but it's always gonna be up to you uh, to living heroically or not. So we, I'd, anyway, I'd love to connect with anybody. Anybody listening to you, connected to you, I'd love to make time for. And I tell you, for everyone that's been listening, Adrian Kaler's been a huge, huge guest for us this week, and we could not be more excited uh, that we've had this opportunity. And, and please, I encourage everyone to not just listen, but take what you're hearing and put it into play. Make it actionable. Find out how you can take this information and apply it to your day, your day-to-day lives and see how it transforms you. Please get in touch with Adrian. His team is doing phenomenal work across the globe and they will help you. That is obvious. It is evident uh, what they're doing. Mm. Um, if you're looking for us, you know where to find us at ellisadamsgroup.com. Um, you can also find me at chrisadams underscore EAG. Um, on Instagram. Love hearing from everyone. You have been listening to The Pink Elephant. We look forward to seeing everyone next week.